News Talk 1110-993 WBT, hour number two of the show here. Yesterday we spent a good bit of time talking about this uh, story from The Intercept, written by Lee Fang, no relation to uh, Congressman Eric Swalwell's uh, Chinese spy girlfriend, but uh, the, I mean, startling revelations, newly disclosed documents from the Department of Homeland Security turned a glaring spotlight on the long-running efforts that the Biden administration has tried to hide from the public about its extensive and coercive collaboration with big tech to police free speech and censor social media. Without getting into all of the details, again, you can go listen to the podcast from yesterday for all of that. But I want to welcome to the program Congressman Dan Bishop, uh, who I saw uh, yesterday, I think it was yesterday, uh, you, uh, you were commenting on Twitter about this very story. Welcome back. Congressman, how are you? I'm I'm doing great, Pete. Nice to be with you. Certainly. So uh, you read the story, I'm assuming, uh, at the Intercept about uh, this Department of Homeland Security. I, I I I'm hesitant to call it mission creep because uh, this was exactly what people were concerned about happening back when Homeland Security was created, right? But now they are working through the big tech companies to shut down particular narratives that pop up in American social media posts and the 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 topics that they go after are you know covid the afghanistan withdrawal um uh, the, the elections so i guess the first thing i would ask is is there anything that you as a congressman can do or should do in order to examine this so yes and i think you're right Pete i think to use the term as it appeared in the article mission creek is very charitable because what is occurring is extraordinarily nefarious. And, um, and I think you and I share the view that uh, there's always a risk when you have the bigger make the government, the more troubling uh, the threats to freedom. And that is certainly what we're seeing here. We've built this massive Department of Homeland Security, uh, and, and suddenly uh, we see 20 you know, years out, uh, that they are more interested in policing what we say to one another than they are catching and preventing harm to the homeland from terrorists or from the threats outside our border. So I would say first and foremost, if there is a Republican majority, uh, I sit on the Committee on Homeland Security now. I don't know for sure if I will again. Uh, I'm on the Judiciary Committee, which has policy control over some of this as well. But, um, but I think we've got to do oversight we've got to learn everything that is partially coming out now in the lawsuit brought by the missouri attorney general that's the first step we got to see exactly how this is done because they're sort of a cadre of academics so-called academics uh and they've made this sound very sophisticated in terms like stochastic terrorism and stuff like that but it really amounts to people being in touch with facebook twitter in an official capacity to ask them nicely to take disfavored speech off the Internet. Right. They created a secret portal, a special portal for DHS and other government partners to report disinformation directly. And so that then if you had this, if you had a, you know, a government uh, email address from one of these agencies, I guess you you got access to the portal. And if you came across something while you were surfing the web, and uh, in one case I saw that they cited in the article, it was some guy on Twitter with, like, no followers, uh, and he was, like, posting memes. 
and I don't know what the memes right. were, but it was a parody account, and he was just posting memes, and 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 he got targeted because apparently somebody just came across his profile, saw what he was saying, and said, "Oh, we don't want that because this is going to present some sort of a, a, in, a security infrastructure." Uh, threat or something like they've expanded this idea of what a threat is to include, as you mentioned, disfavored speech. Yep. And, and, and Pete, that's a particularly worrisome sign because, and of course, everybody who hears that or reads about that little vignette goes, man, that's just crazy. Why would they do that? But if you, you pause and ponder uh, that a little more, you it is a sign of bureaucratic power utterly out of control. No one worried about the fact that someone would see that act of censorship and fire somebody for it or, uh, or you know, kill a, a, a program, a line item in the, in the budget. That, that, that is the sign of uh, utterly capricious administrative power. And this, Peter, this idea they call it jawboning, and it's been done forever. You know, the president will try to talk the dollar down or whatever, or members of Congress will sort of darkly warn about issuing legislation. But even in those circumstances, if the, the political branches do it, the, the people can respond and throw somebody out of office. When faceless bureaucrats are doing it, not even accountable to the Congress for it, something has to change. How, how does that change? Well, my view and what I posted yesterday, I mean, there, it already is. If they used threats or coercion, then that would be a violation of the First Amendment, and it would be uh, could be subject of a prosecution, criminal prosecution, or or um, or lawsuits by anybody's harm. But the problem here is they're very cleverly they don't do that. They don't use coercion they just sort of urge or suggest so i think what we need to do is extend what's called the hatch act that law that prohibits executive branch employees from engaging in politics arose in the 1930s out of an abuse in the roosevelt administration and i think what we need to do is is we need to punish but prison terms and possibly uh, a, a private right of action this conduct, this jawboning, if, if without having a reasonable basis in fact that they can establish by means of an affidavit to say that something is propaganda from a foreign state, for, for bureaucrats to reach out and urge platforms to take speech down that is not unlawful speech, not incitement to violence and the like, that should be itself unlawful. And, and these bureaucrats have to be subject to punishment and then you're going to have to set up something administratively to make sure that the administration doesn't protect its own, or at least bureaucrats are going to have to understand that they're at risk if a new administration comes to power and they've engaged in this conduct. Would that, and in your mind, would that have oversight by Congress as well? Yeah, I think definitely. I mean, I think there need to be reports. But again, the thing I worry about, Pete, frankly, is Right now, we're looking at politicization in the Department of Justice and FBI that many Americans are, are, you know, beside themselves with worry about. And I'm not, I don't have a lot of confidence that the, that the law, even if passed, would operate properly. So there's some things to fix for sure. Yeah. 
Um, before I let you go, uh, real quick, we were talking about this idea of a pandemic amnesty. Have you heard this idea over the last 24, 48 hours that, uh, hey, you know what? Some mistakes got made, but can't we let's just all move on. It's just, it, you know, just let's just move on. What do you think of the idea of a pandemic amnesty? Yeah. Yes, I saw the article <laughs> in the Atlantic, and I've seen a lot of commentary <laughs> on the uh, on social media and the like. Uh, and certainly, the way I feel is what you said. I think you summed it up very well, which is there must be you cannot get past this and have there be no accountability. I'm not sure. You know, a lot of people are saying these people and all that. Okay, you know, whatever, maybe. But the main thing is this. There's got to be structural reform so that this can't be done again. This notion that of sort of expertise and science. Anthony Fauci is the science, and we just need to, you know, not abandon thought and just turn over all of our lives to them to run. And these draconian measures that have been imposed, you can't just say, "Oh, okay, well that was we, we just that'll be let bygones be bygones." I'm not on that on that I'm not on that wagon either. Yeah. Congressman Dan Bishop, I appreciate your time today. Thanks so much. Thank you, Pete. All right, take care. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Jan says, Pete, on the on the whole uh, pandemic amnesty or the pamnesty, Pete, it sounds petty, but it's not. Oh, I forgot to say that. Dang it. I forgot to tell Dan Bishop to advocate for Votainer. Oh, if I could get a couple of Congress people on my side on this, you know, like like big time elected officials. Who else can I hit up next? I got to make this, I I really got to, I really have to devote my efforts to making Votainer happen. It's just, I kind of feel like I've been mailing it in a little bit. Not like the zipper merge. Like I'm like, I will talk to everybody all the time about zipper merge, but I I feel like I need to, I need to get the Votainer. And for folks who aren't aware, it is my, uh, it is my wish to see the term Votainer used instead of vote getter. Vote getter is a terrible term. And Votainer satisfies uh, sort of just the, the, the linguistic uh, attractiveness, right? It's, it, it, it's a better word. It's the, so you're not the top vote getter. You're the Votainer. In the spirit of compromise, I would even allow top Votainer. That's fine, too. But the one who attains the most votes, top vote getter, right? Votainer. You're the Votainer. Or in an at-large race where they get three people is, oh, the top three Votainers. Doesn't that make sense? You would think the press would be all over this, that the newspaper people would be all over this because they get to save how many letters, right? Okay. Um, anyway, Jan says on the topic of the pan, uh, the pamnesty, Jan says, it sounds petty, but at times I am a petty person. If, if, these, if these folks are looking for forgiveness, they need to go to church. Carrying a grudge is the only exercise that I get some days. Nice. Um, I see the damage done to my children by the lockdowns and forced vaccinations and livid does not even come close to describing it. I would call in to discuss my feelings on this, but it would break your dump button. That's, that's possible. I don't know. We do. It does get a pretty good workout most days. 
Um, thank you, Jan. I appreciate the email. Uh, Stan says, if you are following the science and data, but you also get to decide what is misinformation and ignore the data from those sources, you'll wind up with what to you are unintended consequences. To the rest of us, having to deal with those consequences, the results were a foregone conclusion. Right, well, and this is part of the other problem that occurred, which was the the echo chambers. And it was on full display. You had, like, people on the left don't realize how the messaging on the left permeates all of the media ecosystem, even on the right. The right, people on the right, for the most part, people on the right know what the left is talking about. For example, the idea of a pandemic amnesty written in The Atlantic. This is being discussed on the left and on the right. But things on the right generally don't break through. You know, because so many of these things are just local crime stories. Like Kermit Gosnell. Or the Waukesha Christmas Parade murderer. Right? They uh, Just for some reason, it's just a local crime story and it, just, it doesn't break through. How come none of the Covidian Karens were out yelling at Black Lives Matter when they acted out? Was it the letter from the medical professionals proclaiming that rioting for George Floyd was A-OK despite COVID? Right, there you go. That's from Joseph. Another perfect example. Joseph is aware of the news that occurred, that was reported on from the left, about the doctors. Yeah, all these medical professionals that were all about the science and data, and they said it's OK to riot, burn, loot, Go out to the streets. Okay, they didn't say riot, burn, and loot. They said it was okay to go out and demonstrate because racism is a bigger threat than COVID. Systemic racism, institutional racism, like this is what they are out in the streets for. And what the doctors were essentially saying was that the kids have made a risk assessment that systemic racism is a bigger threat to them than COVID. And so they're out in the streets, and so we're okay with it. They gave their blessing. Hell, Roy Cooper walked a, a lap around his uh, governor's mansion, took his mask off, and you know did the fist in the air in solidarity with the the protesters, because right? Democrats thought this was an issue that they could ride. That's what that was about. It was 2020, and they thought this is our ticket to oust the bad orange man. That's what happened. We all saw it happen. It was it was. Uh, dismissed, hand-waved away by uh, the folks on the left. The right is well aware of those arguments that you guys made. We don't believe them. We think you were hypocrites. And and, and that was one of the early signs that this is all theater. You guys don't believe. Same thing with climate change, right? When the people who are telling everybody else to, you know, start burning poop and uh, you can't have any uh, air conditioning and just, you know, wear 17 sweaters, like those folks, they fly around in their jets, And they talk about climate change and carbon pollution, right? When you start acting like the thing you believe is the threat you say it is, then maybe we'll believe you. Sort of like how you were funding all of the pro-Trump candidates that you said would destroy democracy. If they're really going to destroy democracy, why the hell are you giving them money? Why do you want them to win their primaries? Oh, because you think they'll be easier to beat. Well, what if they're not? You, You used our democracy as bait. That's what you did. Right? You are willing to sacrifice our democracy for an easier electoral run. Either that or you don't actually believe it. You don't actually believe it.
Anyway, Joseph's email says, if anybody didn't know the lockdowns and goofball masks were all BS after that, then they're hopeless. The Karens didn't care about COVID. They just want to order people around. Sadly, many Americans failed the poop test and are confirmed scared sheeple. They are confirmed scared sheeple. Yeah. And I've heard, look, and this is the other thing I've heard people say is that, oh, that was just all a, uh, a test run, right? That was a test run to see who would comply. I don't believe it was designed as such, but it definitely provided that evidence, did it not? Never let a crisis go to waste and all that. Let me finish up here. There was uh, Phil Kirpin, president of American Commitment. He said pro-schoolers, because some people came to this woman's defense saying, oh, she was actually in favor of opening up the schools, and how dare you attack her? And he he said actual pro-schoolers have not viewed her favorably since she disavowed her own masking data in order to side with her political tribe against Ron DeSantis. She's telling us to ignore the maliciously evil acts done to people. That's what she is doing. And to pretend these people did not do the things that they did and and are still doing. They're still doing. There was another write-up here. This was a tweet storm. Now they call them threads. But a tweet storm, I'm old school, by uh, Alex. Oh, I don't know her last name now. It starts with a B. But she goes by Alex the Chick. She's a lawyer. I'm sorry, I forget her uh, her last name. It's like Berenstein or something. Anyway, she says the entire... Uh, this entire, you are not the opposition, you're the enemy mindset has been around for decades. But Trump and COVID ripped the tattered remnants of the mask away. And it is what is going to tear this country apart. Right? You will rarely hear me use the term enemy, by the way. I say political opponents. There's a difference. The paranoid style in American politics is now approaching 60 years old. I've heard Democrats aren't wrong, they're mentally ill. It's another thing I don't say, by the way. I know I've had people say it on the show. They call in and they say it. I disagree. I don't say those things. Republicans are always evil, right? It's not that they're wrong. They're evil. That's what the Democrats say of Republicans. There's always been this nasty strain of othering to politics. But some of that is simple tribalism. My tribe good. Other tribe bad. It's kept humans alive for a long time, right? It very well may be encoded in our brain to some extent. The whole high trust, low trust society theory depends on tribalism, ultimately. That's how it is. The difference is that it used to be those who wanted to be taken seriously at least tried to move past that, right? Because somebody with different beliefs than you is not per se the enemy. And it's intellectually, it's psychologically and spiritually immature to think so. An opponent is somebody you want to defeat, yeah. But it implies at least some measure of equality. Right? Like after the boxing match, you go up to your opponent and you, you, you give him a hug. You, get, you do the handshake at the end of the soccer game, right? Because you were opponents, you weren't enemies. An enemy is out to destroy you. And so you'd better destroy that person first. An opponent can be reasoned with, an enemy cannot. An enemy is other and different and to be annihilated. And the ramp up to treating those with differing political views as the other, as not equal, as something. Not quite as human. It's been going on for a long time. All of this has been roiling under the surface, though, for years. Donald Trump made people lose their minds and rip away the mask, and the seething hatred was revealed. And that's what we saw during COVID.
News Talk 1110-993-WBT. I'm going to shift gears, go a little bit more local here. We've got the uh, Gaston County Republican Party Chairman Jonathan Fletcher on the line with us. And uh, Jonathan, how are you? Welcome to the show. Doing great. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I came across a story in the North State Journal that a judge in Gaston County got caught on camera removing campaign signs <laughs> and putting them in the trunk of his car. Um, so that prompted uh, a cease and desist letter. And did that come from, did that come from you guys at the county level or the state level? Uh, yeah, it actually came at the state level. Our state council uh, sent that letter. Okay. So uh, do you have any, uh, what, what can you tell us about, uh, about this story? Let me just start there. What can you tell, like, w- w- were you, aware that it was him when the signs went missing? Uh, Not exactly. Uh, It it was a thing where when we put them out, we knew they would go missing. Sign stealing happens every year, unfortunately, Uh, but never has it actually happened where the candidate themselves, let alone a sitting judge, goes so far as to break the law by stealing a sign. Uh, It's it's remarkable. It's just remarkable. Never seen anything like it. This is Superior Court Judge Jesse Caldwell IV, and as I understand it, his uh, he was appointed to the spot by the governor? Yeah, so he was appointed last year by Governor Cooper to take this spot. Uh, so now this is the second uh, Cooper appointee in the last few months that I, I think is making the news for breaking the law here in our area. Oh, wait, wait a minute. Who is the other one? Uh, you, you may remember not too long ago, Judge Beth, I believe it was there, Mech, uh, was accused of pushing, I think it was an Amazon driver, uh, and there were some file, uh, charges filed in that as well. I do remember that. So, all right. So this judge gets the, gets the appointment because uh, I guess his dad had the seat first and then retired out, right? Because in North Carolina, he turned 72, you got to retire. And so he got the appointment after that, seems like, and... Uh, which, I mean, I don't know. This seems like a bit of evidence against, like, nepotism, but what do I know? Um, so he gets this. Is there an, Are there no other Democrat judges in the entire county that could have been appointed to this spot? or, or Well, it is, it is a pretty Republican county, so, <laughs> uh, you know, that's, that's part of it. Uh, but, yeah, I think it's, I, I agree with you, nepotism, quite an interesting thing to see in the judicial system here in North Carolina. Now, may, now all right, now, so now maybe let's try, uh, try to think of it from this guy's perspective. Did the sign say something terribly egregious? Maybe that's why, I mean, if you said, like, you know, Pete Callender is a monster or something, maybe I would uh, go take those signs up because you're defaming me. What did the sign say? Uh, the sign says Jesse Caldwell IV is a proud Democrat, which, you know, if it, if it said that about me, I'd consider it egregious. But, you know, someone who's running as a Democrat, you would think would not be quite as upset by that. Wait, the sign says that he's a Democrat, a proud Democrat, and he took the signs up. He found that to be such an affront that he had to break the law to steal the signs. Yeah, and, and in fact, he... Try to tell me that the signs were in violation of some kind of campaign rules, and that was why he took them. Um, but uh, he, he told me we were being unfair by, by putting it out there. And really this all started because he's been trying to campaign uh, as a conservative, trying to trick Republican voters into thinking that he's a conservative judge. And uh, so to combat that, uh, I felt it would it would be a good idea for us to put something together that just said simply that he's a Democrat so that voters going into the polls don't have to question, hey, is he a Republican, is he a Democrat? You know, it's, it's there, and 
uh, right in their face. And of course, when they get into the voting booth and they look at their ballot, it'll have Democrat beside of his name anyway. But we wanted to make sure that they had that in their mind before they actually got to that point and had to question it. And it's, it's my understanding that this was actually his quote, right? Yeah, so uh, that, that's that's the funny thing about it. Uh, he actually was quoted earlier this year in the Gaston Gazette saying that he was proudly running as a Democrat, which was <laughs> really the reason why we used that terminology. It was it was his words, and uh, nothing nothing certainly infactual about it. It, it was, it's true, and it's in print. That's unbelievable. Yeah, like they say, hey, Pete Callender running as uh, unaffiliated. Uh, oh, thanks for the campaign contribution, I guess. Right. Um, Thanks for helping me out with some signs. Uh, so, all right. So, you had a discussion with him about this. No, you you talked with him directly. You said, "I did because uh, you know it's it's interesting. Uh, we we had twenty of these signs made. I put uh, eight of them out on Friday night. Uh, by Saturday morning, seven of them were gone. They were stolen uh, overnight, and uh, there was one left at the Board of Elections office in Gastonia." And uh, a volunteer of mine said that he showed up and then all of a sudden the sign was gone. So I uh, actually they have cameras there at the Board of Elections office. I did a public record request to get the, the footage. And, and when we saw that it was actually him that took it in broad daylight, we were we were shocked. And so I actually confronted him about it and, and told him, you know, you've stolen my property. I want it back. Um, that's really all that I wanted. I didn't I didn't intend to turn this into any kind of story, just wanted my property back and wanted to stop stealing them. And uh, he, he basically refused to do that. And I told him I didn't want to take out any charges. And his response was, I'd love to see the magistrate that brings those charges. Did you interpret that as a threat towards a magistrate? Um, I didn't really think about it that way. But later on, uh, he did tell me that I had published an editorial this year uh, saying, claiming that he was a lifelong Democrat. And that was not true, and that was considered defamation, so he could sue me for that. That I took as a threat, but uh, that was a little bit different, I guess. So not only is he running as a proud Democrat, he says, but uh, if you call him a Democrat, he believes that to be defamation. That's an interesting, yeah, yeah that's an interesting it's philosophy. I'm not just, yeah, I wonder if he's heard about Josh Stein's fight on this whole defamation idea in political advertising. I wonder if he's heard of that. Uh, so we should point out. Fair question. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, we should point out that his opponent is a Republican, Justin Davis, right? And, um, Absolutely. Yeah, go ahead. Tell us a little bit about Justin Davis. Not a steel sign, yes. a sign stealer, as I understand it. <laughs> no, no, he's not. And that's what this this conversation really should be about, uh, uh, you know, Justin has twice the amount of legal experience that Judge Caldwell has. He's the only one of the two of them that's actually been elected to anything and has that elected experience. And so it's it's really a tale of two totally different people running for this office, one that has the experience and one that got in on uh, the governor's coattails. Yeah. Uh, what other races in Gaston County should folks uh, be aware of? What are the What are the big ones? Well, particularly uh, for our friends in Mecklenburg as well, of course, we were drawn partly into the 14th uh, district for the U.S. House, and we have great guy Pat Harrigan uh, running for office here. We're excited to have him as our candidate, and uh, we need every vote we can out of Mecklenburg for him. It's going to be a tough race, but uh, we believe it's going to be very close, but we absolutely have a chance to pull out the victory here. We're excited about that. Uh, When Democrats drew this map from the Supreme Court, they certainly – 
did so in such a way to try to prevent it from happening, but we believe that we can pull out an upset here, and we're looking forward to doing that. Yeah, I am. Uh, I'm actually in your district. I'm like four miles from Belmont. I'm in Mecklenburg County. I'm right across the river, though, west of the airport. So I'm in. I, I'm in. Uh, I, I do. I spend a lot of time down in Gaston County nowadays. So uh, yeah, Harrigan is our guy over there. Absolutely, he's doing a great job, and can't wait uh, to call him my congressman. All right. Uh, thanks so much for your time. I do appreciate it. The chairman of the Gaston County Republican Party, Jonathan Fletcher. Good luck on the campaign trail. Thanks so much. Have a good one. All right. You too. Take care. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Just a ridiculous story out of Gaston County. <laughs> Yeah, Roy Cooper uh, appointed the 37-year-old Jesse Caldwell IV to Superior Court Judgeship to complete his father's term on the bench because his dad turned 72 and had to retire. And that's who Cooper names. See, this is what I mean. For all the people you know, so interested about protecting democracy and all of that, this is what Governor Cooper, who's up there railing against these very same you know things, these talking points he's regurgitating on democracy and all that, this is how he behaves, and he gets a pass. He gets a complete pass. He, he appoints a guy to fulfill the unexpired term of his dad, and the guy's a sign-stealing bully That's what he is. Superior Court Judge Jesse Caldwell. It's amazing. Let me go over here. Chris, welcome to the program. Hello, Chris. Hi. Hey, what's up? I, I, wanted, I wanted to make a suggestion about Votainer. Okay, be careful, man. You're now dealing with a, a subject close to my heart. Well, I was going to suggest we start a write-in campaign oh. to Congressman Bishop about the use of the word, if he's going to be the number one votainer in the county. Wait, wait, say that again. I was going to suggest we start a write-in campaign to Congressman Bishop because he's likely to be the number one votainer in the county. But he's already on the ballot. What the, okay, then I don't understand the word. What difference does that have? What, what difference does that make? Well, so a write-in campaign, right, a write-in campaign would be for like someone who's not on the ballot to then uh, uh, be people. Everybody writes in that person's name, and then they win. Oh, I was under the impression that votainer meant something else. Well, no. So, I, well. I think you were under the impression that a write-in campaign means something else. I think you understand what votainer means. Votainer means, so if if we're running for city council, right, and let's say there are 10 people running, there are three seats available, the top three people win. And the media always reports it as the top three vote-getters. And I hate the word vote-getter. So I'm just trying to swap out the word vote-getter with votainer. Okay. So you could say top votainer, you could say... It, it, like Dan Bishop, he's running against that moonbat, Scott Huffman, um, and Bishop is probably going to win. So, yes, to your point, Bishop would be the votainer in that race. He would finish first. I, I misused the term write-in write campaign to you. What, exactly. what I meant was we would write letters to Bishop oh. to use the term. So Okay, so... Uh, uh, or, or maybe... A letter-writing campaign. Maybe the Republican Party leaders in the county. How about, oh, this is what we need to do, a plank in the platforms. We need, to get, we need to get Republican Party members to submit 
resolutions or whatever to get it into their party platform. And we need to get Democrat because it's a bipartisan thing. It's it doesn't matter. Right. Both parties could take a stand and say votainer is the word to be used from now on. I don't need credit for it. it I didn't even come up with the word. It was a listener of uh, uh, of the show up in Asheville. So it's truly a okay. statewide movement here we could build. All right. I agree. Yeah. I think the problem for us was trying to figure out the term letter writing campaign because uh, who the hell writes letters anymore? Right. So, yeah. Okay. yeah. Thank you, Chris. I appreciate the call. Yeah. I mean, a letter. I mean, really, does anybody even know what a letter writing campaign would entail? Here's the key. Sponges. Sponges. You know why? Have you ever licked a whole bunch of envelopes? Back to back to back to. Oh, my gosh. Nasty. Because it eventually starts sticking your tongue to the top of your mouth and stuff, and you just get that taste in your mouth. It's awful. And that's the thing. They never let you taste the envelope before you buy them. They sell them in you know bulk, right? And if I want to buy 100 Christmas cards, I would like to lick it first. And they're like, no, you can't lick that. Well, how do I know that I want to actually buy these cards then? Because the cards, to me, are almost secondary. I mean... I have all these cards to choose from. But if you're not going to tell me uh, what this tastes like, I got to lick all these cards? Here's another thing. While we're doing Votainer, while we're doing letter-writing campaigns, how about this? How about flavored envelopes? Why is this so hard to do? How has this not been done? Why am I just thinking of this right now? This is... Strawberry, cherry flavor, just anything, the NyQuil flavor, the Green Death flavor, whatever. I'm not, I'm not even picky, just something besides whatever that flavor is that somehow or another got picked to be on the envelopes. Who, who made that call? Right? Who, who decided, hey, let's make these envelopes, you know, with this sticky stuff that you have to spit on. You got to lick it. And then, oh, let's make it the just nastiest uh, tasting uh, uh material and we'll put that on there and then that gets all in your mouth i really you couldn't do like bubblegum flavor i mentioned the uh the nyquil the green death flavor like but that's another one like who thought that was a good flavor who said this is the flavor i'm gonna make this you know life-saving uh medicine here take this it tastes like complete garbage but uh yeah and then it took him like what 40 years or something to come up with a, another flavor and it was cherry does anybody even buy the green flavor? Who, what kind of monsters buy that flavor? They don't even offer you the Dayquil in the green death flavor, do they? No, they offer you just orange. You get the orange flavor. So you figured that out, right? You figured out orange flavor for the Dayquil immediately. But for the Nyquil, no, no, we still have the original green death flavor. I don't understand. I, I don't get it. I don't get a lot of things. I don't know why a judge would be stealing signs in Gaston County. I don't know why a judge in Mecklenburg County shoved a UPS driver. I don't know these things. I'm thinking if you are a judge, you probably uh, should act, I don't know, within the boundaries of the law. That's just me. That's just me. All right. Up next, uh, we're going to talk to Paul Jamison uh, about liquor. No, I'm kidding. We're going to talk. We're gonna, it is my favorite. We're going to talk with Paul Jamison about his big event coming up uh, on uh, over the weekend, uh, Positively Matthews. I did not know that Paul started this. So we're going to get details on that if you're looking for a cool thing to do this weekend. Stick around. Some details up next on News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT.